Hello, and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at Freight Waves about CPG company supply chains and CP, CPG company supply chains. I'm your host, Mike Bowden, distal of Freight Waves. I'm an analyst and market expert here. And today's uh, The Stockout show is going to be focused on the rail industry. So I'm going to start with a couple of news items on the rail industry, and then we'll go and speak with our guest, uh, Tony Hatch, who you probably know if you follow the rail industry, he's going to give us a rundown of the latest in the rail uh, industry, including um, takeaways from his uh, Rail Trends Conference, which is the premier conference in the rail industry. It took place about a week and a half ago. Um, but before we do that, uh, just a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor of today's show is Flock Freight. Keep track of moving parts and adhering to strict distribution schedules isn't always easy for a CPG business. Fortunately, we have a solution for your mid-sized freight. Flock Freight's tech-driven shared Truckload service is the only one on the market that provides low damage rates and free carbon neutral offsets, all while keeping your customers happy with on-time load-to-ride delivery, upgrade to a reliable shipping experience at flockfreight.com. That's F-L-O-C-K-F-R-E-I-G-H-T.com. So big uh, thanks to uh, Flock Freight. Um, and first, I'll just give a couple uh, of news stories that are on the, the, on the website on freightwaves.com that our editorial writers have put together. Sort of the first thing that came out on uh, you know, sort of Monday this week, Port of Vancouver uh, ship queue up to 51 after uh, peaking out at about 54 units um, as sort of these rail woes persist uh, in Canada. CN reported uh, sort of major setbacks in its efforts to restore rail service. Uh, Canadian National opened its Vancouver Cam Loops line over the weekend, but quickly shut down as more Heavy rain hit uh, British Columbia, and precipitation has caused washouts and landslides. Actually, they diverted some traffic to Prince Rupert um, and sharing a CP of Vancouver Kamloops line. So uh, sort of issues continue uh, there. Um, and then uh, sort of along similar lines, we're showing uh, that Port of Vancouver also could be in for more uh, disruption. The unionized container truckers uh, you know, that, that are serving Vancouver issued a 72-hour strike notice on uh, Monday. It uh, could mean the loss of 200 uh, truckers out of the 1,700 that serve the port. So lots of issues up there in uh, Vancouver. Um, we'll keep you updated on FreightWaves.com. And then the other sort of news story that I think is on topic here is Port of LA and Long Beach are postponing their congestion third surcharge now for a third time. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, is due to, um, you know, some of the, the, the cargo stacks, you know, re- coming down a little bit, which I think is good news. These, if you recall, these surcharges started a hundred dollars and escalated by a hundred dollars each day, um, you know, from moving in truck, they kicked in after nine days for those moving rails. They kicked in after six days. Um, you know, the ocean carriers pretty quickly, uh, went to pass on these surcharges to their, uh, to, to the shippers and, and the importers. So. Um, you know, we'll keep you updated on this as, as well. Um, and also this uh, major terminal operator, CMA CGM, says it will credit importers $100 credit for a container picked up during daytime hours within the first eight days and $200 a credit for containers moved at night or during weekends. So at least there are, um, you know, a couple of good news, piece of good news in there um, with the, the container uh, congestion, you know, coming down, which I think we'll get more into with our guests. Um, and with that, uh, is a, just a little bit of a rundown of the news. I'd like to introduce our guest today, which is Tony Hatch. Tony is an independent railroad consultant, uh, worked on uh, Wall Street for many years, following the rail industry, really an expert in the rail uh, industry space. You can see his, his articles all the time on Comtrex.com. So I encourage you to check 
those out. And he also hosts uh, the premier rail industry conference, Rail Trends, which takes place the week before Thanksgiving week each year uh, in, in November in New York City. Uh, Tony, thank you for joining me. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, so I uh, wanted to start out and just with something just open-ended, you can take it however however you want to go. Sort of what stood out to you this year from uh, from, from Rail Trends after listening to all the the, the, you know, the, the individuals you had there, you have C-level executives, regulators, shippers, consultants, et cetera. So uh, I guess the, the, the simple answer would be the railroads are trying to reposition themselves uh, away from taking the success of precision scheduled railroading and positioning themselves as a growth opportunity. Uh, this is sort of where they were before the pandemic started as they began to talk to their investors about growth technology and of course ESG, which you know, is a, a, a sub-theme for everything they do, not just because they're good people, but because their shareholders are demanding it. Uh, that they, The way I phrased my review of the conferences, they're beginning to talk the talk. The question, you know, in time will be whether they're going to walk it. Uh, and certainly there was skepticism from shippers in the audience and from the regulator-in-chief, the uh, chairman of the STB, uh, Marty Oberman, uh, gave a pretty uh, a, a stinging I wouldn't say rebuke uh, because it wasn't a direct response, but a, a state of where the rails are today, which is uh, did not make them happy. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I mean, I think uh, you know you have this great uh, line you always like to use at the cult of the OR, which um, you know at some point you know I agree with you. The railroads have to get out of this you know lowering the OR as sort of the, the primary objective and have to get into investing for growth. Uh, you know, having service levels that are you know more competitive than they are currently. Um, but, you know, do, do, you, do you think that that's you know, feasible when there are so many short term investors and it does seem like, you know, someone you would not put in the cult of the OR would have been J.J. Ruay. And it seems like the reward for, you know, thinking about trying to grow with your customers is, is that you get to be the target of an activist uh, situation. So you, you just hit the, 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 the key point that I had was going to get that I didn't mention yet which is the existential fight for the soul of the future of the railroads going on between uh, uh, the activist investors, of which there are two, uh, who are unrelated, it, it appears on the outset, uh, who are going after CN in this, in this battle, whether you refocus on margins, as some analysts have called it, and away from growth or not, which is exactly uh, the opposite of reading the room, to use that, that trite phrase, you know, understanding what regulators in the U.S. only anyway are thinking. Um, I think that we had a great uh, preliminary discussion at the conference from Oliver Wyman, who always sets the stage for some challenge, whether it's uh, technology that's coming on the trucking side that provides, you know, also an existential threat. I'm sorry to use that twice in, the, in one brief time. But then again, on this CN fight, the question is, should you be looking beyond uh, your margin improvement? Should you be doing what CP, the second PSR uh, example, when Hunter left CN and went there after a period of time, you know, they, they fixed their engine, as Keith Creel likes to call it. They, they, they looked internally for a while to, to restructure their, their operations, and then they pivoted to growth. Uh, that was what CN had already done without so eloquent a phrase. That's what CP did. That's where I believe CSX is trying to achieve now, and you could argue maybe Kansas City Southern all along. That is certainly, I think they're walking the talk a bit, the question of whether the other big carriers, UPNNS, where they are in this stage, and whether or not the short-term shareholder fight that you just brought up, Mike, will, will make, the, you know, make that a, a moot point. Uh, I think there is a, the shareholders are not a universal 
group. There are short-term shareholders, but if you look at CapEx over the, the whole century, being you know at 18% of revenues, I think predominantly longer longer term investing is the you know is, is the the group that wins. So I'm I'm looking at CN as an example of whether that theory is correct, whether my theory is correct or not. Yeah, those are good points. I think you know, I think longer term, you do need to invest in the network to make sure it's it's competitive. Um, you know, certainly, the other modes are changing you know, very rapidly. Um, you know, what <laughs> wanted to ask you. Uh, you have the um, yeah the Service Transportation Board Chairman there. You know, Marty Oberman. You 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 usually have at least one member of the Service Transportation Board at at your conference. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you. You know, is is the tone much different now than it has been in previous years. I mean, it, it is, am I right in, you know, assuming that these, the, the current service transportation board seems to be a little bit more, you know, shipper friendly. And as you mentioned in your write-up, maybe a little bit more labor friendly. And how do you see that uh, playing out? So the labor issue uh, is certainly, certainly you seeing the SDB talk about the, the, what they see as a correlation between headcount reductions that come, come with, PSR and really been a story of railroading this technology, as in all industries, you know, uh, comes into play. Um, and, and that that reduction and the service failures that we're seeing, for example, now, I don't see any correlation really whatsoever. Yes, some of the roads may be overcut uh, in the beginning of the pandemic when demand and supply completely stopped. And I think that reaction is something you've seen all throughout the supply chain, throughout retail, throughout industrial companies was a you know sort of panicked no crystal ball look in May of 2020 and so to hold them to that and is is I think artificial uh, this is an activist SDB probably as activist as I've ever seen in my 30 years uh, it's not necessarily because of the change of administrations I would say that uh, the the previous chairman uh, uh, Ann uh, Begaman who was Republican was just as um, angry with CSX and Hunter Harrison and the implementation of PSR as the current chairman is now uh, with the with the continued use of, of PSR. In other words, th- they were probably not as activist before, but they were just as angry when they were seeking a fight uh, in 2017 when, when CSX was, when they held hearings to, to try to embarrass CSX. They didn't get the fight they wanted. Um, now with the M&A and with the, with the supply chain crisis, and the executive order, uh, maybe the change administrations has given a little more backing. And certainly there's a labor element to this, which also plays out in the uh, Federal Railroad Administration, which is looking to uh, to unwind some of the technological advances that the railroads have done, for example, uh, automatic inspection, et cetera. So there's a, I, I sense that this is, um, like with the executive order order's impact on the STB, they were really confirming existing feelings. This board is more activist but maintains the same feelings that sort of pro-train, but anti-railroad, if you can understand, if you know what I mean by that. Pro-train, meaning they prefer passenger over the freight railroads? No, and I'm sorry to be, to be obtuse here. I meant, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are arguing for more rail market share. And part of what, for example, is uh, railroads ought to take low margin business because they don't understand uh, return on investment. They don't. They think rails are underspending and are buying back too much stock, which I think is beyond their purview and doesn't correlate to the 18% on average capital spending as a percent of revenues. Uh, so they are they think they want rail trains railroading to win. They profess that constantly. 
they don't like the way that railroad companies are going about it. That makes a lot more. Um, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll see how, how this all plays out. But you know, they, they have to you know hit, hit move that freight profitably in order to you know make, make those investments. So um, exactly the correlation between doing taking unprofitable freight and the ability to to you know invest in technology ought to be clearer than the idea that there's been a headcount reduction over the 21st century on an annual basis. And yet we have now supply chain problems. That correlation is unclear to me. Yeah. And, you know, next year there's, you know, it seems like their docket is, is pretty full. Um, that one line from the AAR that they have a new hearing room and they're dying to, to use it. I thought it was a, a good one line, great one liner. Um, you know, which of those things do you think is going to have the, the biggest impact? Which of those of those hearings? I mean, you think much is going to change with the, the reciprocal, you know, switching as you, as you look forward? So, so the chairman also referenced that line. Um, he said it's, uh, it's they call it the E Street Room, and he even referenced uh, Bruce Springsteen, which I thought was pretty hip for, uh, for a person of his generation. But um, uh, uh, the answer is I expect a lot more hearings. The, the STB doesn't have a lot of power except for emergency power. And despite the, the headlines, we're nowhere near uh, an emergency. Christmas is going to happen. The railroad's role uh, is actually not the cause of, of the headline supply chain issues, although you know, they have a role in it, but they're certainly not the lead cause. So going beyond that, I, you know, without a merger, which we could talk about separately, where the, where the STB has got full power, after that, they really have, uh, you remember, they only regulate uh, several commodities, a few commodities, most of that whose business is under contract, which takes it out of regulation. So they have the power to spotlight things. They can change rules. They can take on more commodities under regulation over significant time subject to review. I would expect the reciprocal switching thing to be pretty contentious. It's in March, I think, 15 and 16. I'll be there in D.C. Um, but I don't expect, you know, something to come instantly out of it. After all, there are no members of the board by March that will have been here for the last time we could, we covered reciprocal switching. So it will, in a sense, have to start from scratch. And it's a multi-year process. Um, so I don't expect anything more than bad publicity for that or the several other hearings they're going to have. For the most part, what they have is a big, shiny spotlight. Unless you bring something like a rate case or a merger case, in which case you do surrender to their ultimate authority. Got it. That's great insight. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you also about the, the, the merger you know, between CP and Kansas City Southern. You know, what are your thoughts on the deal? And do you, you, know, do you think this enhances... You know, the shipper's ability to use the, the railway system. I mean, CP makes the argument this is, extends the reach of, uh, of of where they can move their freight. But what are your sort of big, big picture thoughts on that deal? Well, it's interesting. Um, I was First of all, I think the deal will pass under the old rules. We learn in retrospect that under the new rules, I think no deal will pass. So this is, as a, a, a commissioner primus of the STB said, the first merger they're looking at in 20 years and the last merger they'll probably ever look at. Um, size of class one railroads. I think it will pass. I think it will enhance competition. In fact, it, it you know, the, I was shocked by uh, two things in the application. One is the high percentage of business they anticipate in their synergies at three years number that comes from other railroads as opposed to the historic trucks off the highway kind of random number they picked. And a lot of this is directed directly at the Union Pacific. And that's going to be really interesting. And that will be a battle between a shorter multi-rail route for premium, let's say, auto business from the Midwest of both Canada and the U.S., heading down south to Mexico, bringing frames and parts back there, et cetera, 
a multi-rail but shorter unit that works pretty well right now. Um, it is, you know, the, probably the heart of UP's intermodal business versus a single line service that's going to require $300 million of capital to upgrade Iowa, which is a very slow bulk railroad business for the CP currently. Uh, and that is 300 miles or so out of route. Uh, the question, you know, if it, they really make a, a case that the single line, the fewer handlings, does, is, you know, is, is so much better for shippers. It'll be interesting. How do you then do you not say final round consolidation and going down to two railroads uh, isn't better? If, if the idea of removing any handling in Chicago, let's say, I am not in favor of final round consolidation, but in essence, Keith Creel is making the case for it. And he is the only CEO who, prior to this round of mergers, still advocated final consolidation. All the other CEOs um, were against it. Well, you know, the basic reason is if you think the SDB is angry now, just wait for that. So, sorry. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think we'll we'll see it personally, but but you know, who knows? Um, uh, so, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask you is just you know, an intermodal. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion of um, you know, market share gains and, and, and losses. I mean, I get some interesting you know quotes. Um, in Larry Gross' presentation that you know John Kingston wrote up for our site saying that. Intermodal lost the market share that it had gained since 2009. Of course, maybe now it's kind of going back the other way. Intermodal's uh, in the last, let's say, two months has, has, has picked up. But do you think Intermodal is still a growth area or is it a GDP grower from here? Um, do you think there's real you know, opportunity? I, I think there's huge opportunity. But this is where when we go back to the first thing you asked me, Mike, about, you know, the railroads and talking the talk. And we're just, this is where it has to show. Yes, there are opportunities in carload. I mean, they lost share in in uh, uh, paper, for example, which is kind of crazy because that's a business design for the boxcar. But but this intermodal is really it, it, it has to work uh, for the railroads to be successful at all. Uh, they have to make the case to shareholders that the margin hit can be made up for, for from return on investment. This is part of the CN. Why I call that the existential fight. Part of the reason they have a gap in OR is because they have a significantly larger uh, intermodal business. The railroads must make this work. I think it should be, you know, a multiple of GDP business. They have had a tough go of it, and it's been in many ways self-imposed uh, problems as well as then the greater issues of, uh, of the pandemic. But going back to really 2019 or 2018, when there was a trucking shortage because of the regulations, if you recall at the time on drivers, the railroads did not provide enough capacity nor enough uh, fluidity to take business. Their, their intermodal business exploded that year, but it was all trailer business, which in 2019, when there was an excess of drivers and trucking companies wanted to make sure their drivers got happy and paid and didn't leave, uh, they, they, that TOFC business went back to the highway, whereas it would have been a lot stickier if there was container availability. Since then, that is not a fatal error. And Larry even pointed out, this is something that can be fixed, but railroads have been sort of behind ever since 2019. Then you had a trade war and disruptions of that. And then finally, the bigger issue. Um, and this supply chain has hurt everybody. And there's, if you can get a truck, it can get around some of these supply chain issues. But you remember, it's trucking and drayage that are a big part of, of this. Um, so the answer is, I believe it can. I believe we can see it when we look at the Canadian examples. I believe we're going to begin to see it in 2022, led by BNSF on the U.S. side. Unfortunately, they don't report as much as the others, but we'll be able to figure that out. So the answer is, uh, I think it had better. So sorry about a long-winded answer, but the answer is, I think it can and it better. Well, good. That's actually you know pretty optimistic. Um, 
And then I just want to ask you, you know, in a couple of minutes we have left, I mean, did, is there any evidence that you heard from, you know, people at the conference that the railway fluidity is really getting better? I mean, we've seen you know, some of the domestic truckload companies start to say, well, it has, it has been getting better. So that's question number one. And then I also wanted to ask you about labor, um, sort of how acute are the labor issues specifically, you know, sort of in and around the rail industry? So the first answer is the, the general consensus, including shippers in the audience, who were some of whom were pretty vocal, you know, in Q&A, et cetera, uh, was that we have probably bounced off the bottom. That is, it is getting better. It was hard to find, um, you know, a lot of definitive examples, but the sense was it is getting better. You gave an, a, an example, an anecdotal, but an important example at the beginning. So I think the sense was that we are beginning, you know, to see, should we not see another you know, major disruption. And of course, we've got potential of one uh, from the health, you know, world, um, in, in, you know, with COVID and, and Omicron. But uh, but if we don't see another disruption, whether ports shutting down, remember, this is a, a boulder in a, in, in a puddle here. And so it's the waves flow back to China, which shuts down ports, which means they back things up and containers don't get inland. And it has huge impact. I think we're at the beginning. We, we can look back and say, the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter might have been the inflection point, but nobody was willing to say that really on the record and say exactly when we'd be finished. And the, the labor issue, we've got a labor issue coming in of the dock workers in L.A. You mentioned one in Vancouver, but the uh, the West Coast, the ILWU is up for contract next year. Nobody talked about labor negotiations, the national ones for U.S. railroaders, which is so critical in terms of being able to capture the uh, – uh, technological advances the railroads are capable of, right? This is really a legislative and regulatory labor issue preventing railroads from actually getting ahead of trucks in this regard. Uh, so it's really important. And I think it's coming at a time with labor shortages, spot shortages, uh, it, you know, in, for crews that you mentioned. And by the way, CSX did say that they had turned the corner on their hiring and crews. They were one of the leaders in crew shortages. So labor, the fact that labor has got a little bit more power now is actually at an uncomfortable time the supply chain. Uh, not that I'm trying to put my finger on the scale one way or the other, but uh, in terms of, you know, this round of labor negotiations, I hope is more forward thinking rather than reactive to the current environment. Yeah, I mean, I hope, would hope so too. They do tend to be multi-year, um, you know, contracts that are put in place. And um, this is such an extraordinary situation with with what is happening with, uh, with labor. Um, it'll be interesting because, I mean, it's, it seems like, at least since I've been following the railroads, it seems like they've been able to scale their workforce up and down and furlough people and you know, when they need to. Um, but you do wonder if um, the rails will have less ability to do that. And, you know, to your point, I mean, you would hate to see these efficiencies that they could be, could be realized, you know, potentially going to, you know, one-man crews or, you know, automated, you know, inspections that could ultimately make the railroad more competitive with truck, particularly if, if trucks um, cost structure uh, goes down with things like um, you know, alternative fuels and, and, and things of that nature. Um, so that'll be another interesting one uh, to watch. Um, Wattech at, at uh, the conference talked about the ability to get to one-man crews from a technology perspective today and also talked about alternative fuels in, in power for the railroad industry. CP is working on uh, on hydrogen power. There's a lot of stuff percolating on, on the rail side that doesn't get the same front page publicity as a too simple, uh, you know, et cetera, or, or you know, uh, Elon Musk. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's important that the railroads have the clear pathway to do this from a regulatory point of view. Those inspections are actually safer, make the industry safer 
uh, by doing it automatically versus the AI. So, yeah, it's, it's great insight. Um, you know, where can folks uh, reach out to you and, and, and learn more and in touch with you? They can reach me at abh18 at mindspring.com, M-I-N-D-S-P-R-I-N-G.com. And, uh, uh, you know, on my Twitter handle, abh18. But uh, they, they should be able to find me. If they can't, uh, you let them know. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy. ABH Consulting. I'll, I'll put you in touch with, with Tony. If anyone needs to, to talk to me, you can reach out to me at mbowden.com. Bye-bye, guys. <laughs>